Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. To Bulls Gold on the Barroom Network at Salim Sutterwala. And as always, I'm joined by Edward Shula Jr. Hey, Ed, how's it going today? Hey, I'm good. Um, we are recording on a Sunday afternoon, a really beautiful Sunday afternoon, but kind of unfortunately, we got to talk about these Bulls. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just like we were saying uh, before we started recording, I-, I can't believe that they got like mopped by the Knicks on that Friday like yeah just <laughs> um and hopefully like we're not in for a uh repeat against Minnesota because if something like that happened tonight I can only imagine what Bulls Twitter is going to look like so um yeah hopefully, um, hopefully a little bit of normalcy is restored whatever normalcy looks like for the Bulls right now but uh yeah we're, we're gonna get into all of that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we have to talk about it, but we're just sickles, <laughs> so like we're 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 gonna talk we, about we it. A, and, we have a threshold you know, for like <laughs> Yeah, we do. I think so. You know, it's 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 one of those things where we're just trying to we're all trying to like search for answers on what's going on with this team, and you know, there's so many opportun- options and, you know, conversations that we can have. And I think we're going to get into all of that today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no one better to help us do that. Our guest who we've had on so many times, he is the co-founder of Swish Theory. Uh, one of our good friends, Chris Amundsen. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. We need your sage advice and uh, uh, thoughts on on everything that's happening right now. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's always great to be on. You sure you don't want to talk about the World Cup instead? Something a little bit more positive. I know. I know nothing about the World Cup, but let's talk about the World we, Cup. We can figure, yeah, we so. can figure it out along the way. I think. <laughs> yeah, you got you to get the lingo down. It's a pitch. It's a match. Um, you say nil instead of zero. You know, you got things like that. So I'm I'm learning. My wife's a big <laughs> big soccer fan, but um, I, I kind of watch the World Cup, and that's about it. But I would love to go to a game one day. But unfortunately, you guys are right. You guys are right. We got to talk about the Bulls and their situation, and it's it's not great right now, as you guys know. It's um, I I think I was one of the only people on record saying I was fairly optimistic still, despite their their start because of the strength of schedule that they were facing because of the injuries and because of their pretty poor clutch time performance, which I'm sure we'll get into. But this stretch that we've had last week and a half or so was supposed to be kind of the make or break time. Uh, It's a little bit softer. 
and the bulls have been just as bad basically. And it's, it's depressing because I think the Vooch trade and the direction that the franchise gave us a good team. And even if we had a low ceiling, you know, we thought we would at least be able to enjoy some, some good basketball for a couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of been robbed of that too. So it's, it's a lot of doom and gloom right now. And I'm usually a pretty positive person as you guys know, but even for me, it's, it's been, it's been tough. And I've been putting like, you know, like trade ideas out there because I think realistically the bulls have to start looking at all options at this point. Mm. Yeah. I'm looking at all options for sure. And it's crazy. Like just everything with the bulls, when it, 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 it rains, it pours. And when we keep getting these terrible Lonzo, uh, Lonzo ball updates. And the recent one was like, essentially he's going to be, they, they think he's going to be out for the season. And, that's that's essentially like the poison pill right there. It's just like, hey, we're, you know, you're hoping that this guy that along with Caruso and that made a lot of things click in the way the Bulls want to play on in an up tempo fashion and a uh, defensive, you know, using defense into offense, doing all those various little things. Just with this, you know, the someone that I argue as far as impact goes is your third best player you find out that, again, he's not going to be available uh rest of this year. And, and that's just an absolute killer. Like, at, at this point, like, do are we even sure Lonzo's ever going to really suit up as a bull? Like, I'm I'm almost getting to that point. Like, is his knee injury just like, you know, you, you saw somebody like um, Sean Hyken mentioned this is looking like a Brandon Roy situation where his knee is kind of just like deteriorating. Um, like, do you, do you guys feel that way at this point? Because I'm kind of like there almost, it's like, Oh, I, I just, this thing was a six to eight weeks and I was turned into a, you know, what did complete this even, two seasons in session. He's not going to play. What did this even, God, I'm trying to figure what was the original injury? Was it a bone bruise? Was that the original like injury from last year? It was January 14th of last year against the Warriors. He came out of the game with, with some knee pain and they diagnosed it as a, a torn meniscus. Oh, torn so meniscus. it was okay. supposed to be a meniscus surgery, okay. but a minor one, the one where that takes six to eight weeks where they just cut out the little part that's torn basically. And mm-hmm. um, instead of trying to repair the whole thing, which usually takes six to eight months, or I think it may be a little bit less now, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was supposed to be that. And then when it wasn't healing, they said, well, he also had a bone bruise at the same time. So maybe that's contributing to the pain and we got to wait it out because sometimes bone bruises take a while to heal. You guys remember Kendrick Dunn on the Lakers didn't play for, I want to say like a season and a half or something because of a bone bruise. It was a really long time. And so I think that's kind of why they were being cautious. But now that the fact that he's gotten a second surgery and they were positive at first, they said, Hey, he's, he's not feeling some pain here in areas that he was feeling pain after the, after the first surgery. Now we, now with some more ramping up, he's starting to feel some of those same issues. I'm not sure they haven't given details of like exactly what what's happening, where he's feeling the pain, but we know he's feeling pain and you know, he's not running. He's not doing basketball activities yet. So it's really depressing. I don't know what, I don't know if he'll play over the course of contract. I still would bet. Yes. I was a lot more optimistic after the first botched surgery, because I figured it's probably just that they probably just need to go in there and clean something up. 
But after the second one where he's still feeling the same kind of issues, I'm not really sure. And I'm not sure I can even speculate as to what, you know, what the prognosis is at this point, but for the bulls, I think it doesn't matter. I think, I think the Lonzo injury coupled with the fact of their really poor performance this year, I, I think kind of forces you to make some serious changes to your direction. And I know the front office keeps saying, well, when we're healthy, we can be really good. I agree. We saw that they were really good when they were, even when they didn't have like Kobe and Pat and stuff. But I mean, Lonzo's not going to play before Vooch's contract is up or Kobe's contract is up. So what do you get? You got to make some decisions on those players. You got to make some decisions on the DeMar contract. He's got a year left. Zach just started his contract, you know, his, his five-year max. So the Lonzo injury, even though I think Lonzo himself has time to get healthy and get right, I think the team doesn't. And, and that's really what it comes down to, you know, for our purposes. I agree with no. you. Oh, go, no, go ahead, Sling. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Ed. No, yeah, I, I was just saying, I agree with you, and I think my pessimism was because after they did this most recent surgery, didn't the Bulls provide, like, a timeline of about six to eight weeks, I think, that he would be – was it that he would be at least be able to, to play or be able to, like, run, like, contact? I, I can't remember, but – they were. They said reevaluation in six to eight weeks. Six to eight weeks. So I, okay. I think they were trying to be really cautious okay. <laughs> this time around. Okay. So for for me, rule of thumb is anytime we have like all of these kind of like ambiguous updates around injuries with the Bulls, it's never a good thing. Um, <laughs> so if it was good, they'd say yeah, it. Yeah. If, yeah. if it was good, they'd say it. That's yeah, it. Yeah. So, exactly. Unless it's a, unless it's a Billy Donovan extension for some reason. Yeah. We we've been left in the dark with this for a while and i think lavar ball initially was one of the people that initially started to provide a little bit of clarity around this injury so uh that's poetic in its own right but um but even that yeah. was just him him lying like because yeah. he doesn't he's not really giving us real updates because yeah. he's like oh alonzo's gonna be available season opener yeah like that was a clearly a lie yeah. i mean <laughs> yeah so it's just like I honestly don't know when he's going to play, and I don't feel good about. I mean, the the contract is what it is. I I think it's a fairly paid contract when he's healthy, but I mean, the comparisons to Brandon Roy. I mean, it's certainly a a rational thought. I think at least, and Lonzo Ball is a big part of what makes this big three work. And without him, I I don't know how effective it can be we're seeing this year that it's not very effective at all um well not completely but we're seeing this year that this team without Lonzo Ball is missing such a big part that makes this work so it it is going to force you into some very difficult decisions and we were talking about this before we started recording but to me it, it feels like this team is it has so many eggs and different paths of building a team because there are young pieces here or players that are kind of like at the start of their prime. When you look at Patrick Williams, you look at IO Zach Levine is like kind of like at the start of his prime at 27, but then you have like these older players and DeMar and Vooch who aren't under contract for the long term. Caruso is what kind of like in his prime was he like 20, six seven i can't remember but yeah yeah he might be he might be one of the most valuable at trade assets 
yeah, on the Bulls. And he, he's a great contract and a clear impact player. So it, it, it's such a it's such a tough discussion because without Lonzo, this doesn't work. But then you just have so many parts scattered around where it makes a decision very difficult as far as rebuild or see if you can retool on the fly or I, I, I don't know. But as far as Lonzo goes, yeah, it's uh, it, it's looking bad. <laughs> yeah, and and we, you know, Lonzo obviously he's he is a big part of it. But then that's also Zach. Zach is just not look remotely the same. We've talked about this, you know, constantly about how he is. He's essentially been a from a borderline All NBA caliber player to essentially looking like a guy that is just taking a lot of poor shots, uh, very inefficient, you know, just kind of, he, he seems lost. Like he seems lost in the sense where the things that he used to be able to do, he can't do it. And he looks frustrated at times. Obviously there's time you see that normal Zach is go, Oh, that Zach looks like the Zach that we know, but then it's back to just, you know, tough misses, uh, just really, you know, the the decision making has never been perfect for Zach by any means, but it's kind of being like, you know, it's kind of like more so glaring when he's struggling with trying to try to do a lot of things that he can't do that he normally could was able to do, and you know this this losing streak, the schedule as is getting softer, and we were thinking that you know, this is where the Bulls can start making up ground. You're not seeing that Zach come back and you're seeing the same struggles happen. And a lot of these games that, you know, the Bulls you thought could win like that Atlanta game where, you know, it comes out to one possession, they lose the one of the next games again, same situation where at least in regulation it comes out to one possession and they lose. Um, and then this recent next game is a blowout uh, games that they should be winning. It's just completely, uh, completely, you know, falling apart even more so. Um, what, what, like, what do you gather with that? As far as with everything that's happening, even further, keeps it keeps this a downward spiral on. Uh, Chris, let me get your thoughts on that. I mean, I think in part we can expect some ramp up time because of that injury, but there's there's some uncertainty there because we all thought he was going to start the season healthy but maybe still rusty but when they, they held him out of the first two games after holding him out of like a week and a half of the preseason too and so i was really concerned at the start and i know a lot of media members were concerned at the start that maybe the team wasn't being really honest with us about the condition of his knee because they were calling it knee injury management and to me that speaks to there's an actual injury because what it should be is load management. If he was healthy, it'd be load management, right? He's getting, he's, he's working on putting more, you know, more pressure on the knee, uh, putting force on the knee. And if you haven't done that in a while, if you're going to do that at an NBA level, you kind of need some ramp up time, but that's not what they called it. They called it knee injury management and they held him out of, of the first couple of games. And then a few back to back since then, he does feel like he is getting better over time. His rim finishing, for example, was really, really low until a couple of weeks ago. And he's, he's kind of brought that back up. I think he's back to, he's at 65% now, which is still kind of a little bit below. He was, he was around 
uh, within three feet of the rim his last couple of years, but that's kind of more normalized. So I, I think he's getting better. I do. I do think his efficiency is really, really down though. If you, you know, if you look at his stats on cleaning the glass, he was in the 94th percentile and the 85th percentile the last two years in points per shot attempt, right? Basically how, how efficient he was in shooting. He was at 128.9, his first his first all-star season, which is ridiculous. It was like, as you and I, uh, you and I talked about guys, like that was a historic offensive efficiency season for him, but he's usually in like the 85, 75, you know, 75, 85th percentile, um, you know, kind of 120 ish or so points per shot attempt this year. He's at 112, which is below average. And I think Zach's performance, his inefficiency in the clutch specifically, I think he's shooting under 30% in the clutch this season, which is really rare for him. That and the fact that we do not have Lonzo Ball has contributed to the Bulls being the worst clutch offense or the worst clutch team in the entire league for this season. And it, when you look at the numbers on it, it doesn't look like we should be. It's we're, we're not super bad as far as like the, you know, um, the net rating, for example, our net rating in the clutch is minus 8.9, but the three above us are negative 19.4. That's the Spurs negative 35.2. That's the Lakers negative 28.1 is the Hornets. So like we shouldn't be this bad in the clutch, but we only have three wins and 11 losses in those, in those clutch games, which is the worst in the league. So, I think the Bulls are getting not only are they getting unlucky in clutch situations because they should be a lot better, but they were one of the best. They were the third best clutch offense. I'm sorry, I keep saying clutch offense. They were the third best clutch performer in the league as a team last year. And so that is really, really flipped. And that's why I think you're seeing a lot of the Bulls stats overall look pretty mediocre. Like they're, they're still, I think the last time I checked, they were still top 10 in defense and they're about top like 20 ish or so in, in offense. And so they're a pretty middling team as far as, you know, their, their net rating goes, but their clutch stats have just completely killed their record. And the record is ultimately what matters, right? That's what's going to get you in or out of a playoff situation. doesn't matter if you're a plus 15, if you're losing every clutch situation, you know, you're, you're not going to make it. So I think that, I think that's a direct result of Zach being really poor in shooting and decision-making the clutch and the loss of Lonzo because Lonzo just makes everything good about the bulls. He takes that to a higher level, the shooting, the passing, the defense, the activity. He just exemplifies all of those qualities that made the bulls such a fun team to watch last year. And it's been without him a pretty joyless experience for me. Let me ask you this though. How much faith do you have in Zach Levine being able to turn it around this year as far as this injury goes? Because we, even though he has been like, he's been inconsistent, I guess, lately, but he's shown some bright spots this month in terms of being able to, to play at that level that we've seen him play at the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I, I do have faith that he can that he can continue to improve as the season goes, as far as his individual efficiency is concerned. I don't know if it's going to be enough and in time to really matter for the bulls. So that's more of my worry, unless there's something really actually still wrong with that knee. If it's just him kind of getting his legs back under him, 
then I'm pretty confident. If he's injured, obviously, then we're going to have to have to have a different discussion. But right now, I don't have any reason to believe other than the weirdness of of him being held out for these games and the way they worded it. We haven't gotten any reporting that there's actually an injury still to that knee. So I don't know, but I, I'll have faith in it until I get a good reason not to have faith in it, I guess. And, you know, we no, definitely. And we've talked about you know, all the various problems uh, with the players and injuries and the reason they're struggling there. But I also think, you know, Chris, I've been saying the last few weeks, and I want to get your thoughts on this too, that this is a collective issue in general because, like, it's not only the injuries that I've heard us, the players underperforming, um, like obviously missing Lonzo um, is the injury, Zach underperforming. But I also feel like we have a offseason. When we went into offseason, we talked about this, that, the continu- continuity plan by the front office was a problem concerning or not, maybe not concerning, but it could be a problem. Uh, they didn't really address shooting um, with the East getting a lot better. They didn't make enough roster upgrades while we, while at least the three of us, I felt like that while Drummond and Dragic would be at least good for depth. They weren't really enough to upgrade the roster to keep up with the rest of the East and then I also feel like uh, Billy, while like obviously you can't blame Billy for everything and that's going wrong with the team, but I feel like on the offense, there's not a lot of creativity on the offensive end. And you know your co-host of the uh, Switch Theory podcast, you know, they always text us constantly and how annoyed he gets with the Bulls, you know, very, very simplistic offense that they tend to run and – you know, he's always talking about how the Suns, the Pelicans, and all these other teams that have these, you know, very, very fluid sets that they use, that utilize um, to, you know, create not to create spacing, to create um, movement for their movement shooters. Like a guy like Zach, like I can't remember how many times this season we've seen Zach really have, like. Sh- opportunities as a movement shooter, not, not as many as you would like to see, especially with him struggling so much uh, being on the ball. So, you know, I feel like I said, you know, a long winded question, if you will, short, I feel like, like I said, I feel like it's a collective issue here. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. It is a collective issue. Um, The, I think the off-season moves showed the mind of this front office and organization and what their true goals are. When they first brought all these guys in, I think our thought was, okay, they're going to try and be a really good playoff team and be in position to make a move to take them to championship level if that move kind of arrives. But when when there were they had their full mid-level exception this year, this off season. And they should have had their biannual exception as well, but they used part of it on Tristan Thompson, which means uh, who they signed at the deadline last year, who, which means they can't, they can't use it until next off season. Um, and I think the fact that they did not use their MLE and instead they used just little pieces of it and stayed under the tax kind of revealed that, they were looking to be a good playoff team. They just kind of want that playoff revenue. And I thought they had wanted more. 
And I was a little disappointed. I think that's why I called it a failure. Not because Drogic and Drummond aren't good players, because they are, and they raise the floor of this team. And I think if everyone was healthy, this would be a better team than they were last year. I think there's no question about it. Uh, but the, with the rest of the East improving, or at least making moves to improve, they haven't always panned out. I thought that they would be a little bit more serious in trying to compete. And I think we're going to see again what their true goals are this season, because if they're smart, you know, they're, they're going to have to make some, some big decisions. If they kind of stand pat and just say, we're going to run this back or, or, you know, we're going to do this little kind of dinky moves. I think it's going to show us what, what Jerry and what the organization kind of really care about. And I have my suspicions that they just kind of want the bulls to be relevant and a playoff team. And they're not really interested in, in truly competing, but we'll see. I have no idea. I have no idea what they're going to do yet. Um, but to Billy, I, I agree with Laro. I think Billy's not even in the top five major problems of the bulls, right. but he's certainly not helping with kind of the vanilla, the vanilla offense. Sometimes I think Laro gets upset because if you look at what, what the, what the Kings do or what, Golden State does with Curry or what the Suns do with Booker, the right. way that they get their top players coming off of screens, getting into those spots, just making the offense more dynamic. I think the Bulls have done a pretty poor job of doing that. Part of that may be a personnel reason because you have a guy like DeMar who can take that 18-footer and it's a really efficient shot every time. I think sometimes, as we saw last season, especially down the stretch, they get too reliant on that sometimes, and they're not really being creative. And we saw early this season with with Pat kind of just standing in the corner a lot of plays. They did a better job. I'm not sure if it was Pat just doing what he was supposed to do or if it was Billy kind of integrating him, but Pat's offense has been much more effective because he's been screening and he's been involved in plays. I think the Bulls need to do that at a much higher level across the board, and especially to get guys like Zach who's who's struggling with his efficiency. I think he needs things ran for him to get him and to get him better looks and to get him kind of comfortable because Zach, as we know, is a dynamic scorer. And, you know, if he's healthy, I think they got to do it. But at this point, you know, they, Billy's going to be here. So I'm not really sure what we can do about Billy uh, other than just whine, yeah, <laughs> which right. is fine too. But, right, but yeah. that's kind of what, that's kind of what it is, what it is at this point. Uh, with Billy, you know, coaches improve just like players do. And so, you know, maybe he he can shake up his staff a little bit, bring in some more offensive coordination that, that will help him kind of diversify his offense a little bit more. But, you know, as I said, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a top priority, but I think it's low hanging fruit for, you know, for this team to improve on the margins here. Yeah. I, you know, another thing I, I, with the front office that I, that really frustrates and it frustrated some of us is like, look, I understand with when, when they went after Gallinari and we all thought like, look, okay. Yeah. He can shoot, but it adds another guy that can only play one side of the ball. Uh, that's a problem. You can't have so many guys that are only one way players. And, you know, I think back about it at the time, I'm like, you know, there's guys available that you could probably get, that are better fits as a two-way players. A guy like, and I think you're back now too, is a like a Bruce Brown. Like he can play the three. He was an improving shooter and he's a good defensive player too. 
And, and, and I look at like, you know, I watched the Denver Nuggets is like, man, the Denver Nuggets really stole this guy. Cause the essentially we could have probably got him a little less because I think what they offered Gallinari was like two years, 14 million or something like that. Mm. And I think Brown got like 12 million for two years or something like that. And it's like, man, like stuff like that. It's like, you couldn't gotten like AK seems to go after guys that he's had connections with only. That's the other thing, right? Like when you look at a lot of these free agencies, like Dragic, he had some kind of connection with, I feel like, you know, I think maybe even Mark Eversley had a connection with Drummond. I don't remember if that's the case or not, but uh, you know, you took the Gallinari with days with his Denver days. He had that connection with Gallinari. So he was trying to see if he could get his guy. Stuff like that. It's like you have to do better in, in on the margins when you're using your when you're using your mid level exception. And, and obviously they couldn't use the full mid level exception, but they wanted to split it up. Like that would have been better use of the money to go get a guy like Bruce Brown. And grant, granted, Bruce Brown is not solving anything, but he would have been a much better rotation piece, at least at that backup three than, you know, some of the options that we have now that you're kind of forcing in there to try to like, you know, you're trying to put put in DJJ and random lineups that certainly works sometimes, but other times, you know, when we're drastically need shooting, we're kind of having some of these wonky lineups with DeMar where DeMar is surrounded by zero shooters. And that's the other thing. Like we have to be the only team in this league that actually sends out zero shooting lineups. I can't, I can't think of another team that, probably plays a, a lineup of like DeMar, you have AC, DJJ, Javante, and Drummond, or Dragic um, mixed in there somehow instead of DJJ and then Drummond. It's like, that is crazy to me. It's I don't, That's a roster problem. It's not only a Billy sending that lineup, but it's a roster problem. And mm-hmm. like, again, I'm rambling here, but it's just those little things all make, make matter. All those little things matter. Well, I think to your point, Salim, I'm maybe less frustrated with the offseason acquisitions because that's just trying to pick guys that don't have teams. It's it's hard to find guys that are it's hard to find guys at real value in the offseason. You can do it, right? Like a Bruce Brown. You can find those guys, but often the reason that they go for so little is is, you know, the, the market situation or their their performance on their last team, that kind of thing. And you have to be really good at player evaluation in those situations to kind of find those value moves in the, in the off season. What annoys me more is two things that they can control, which is when they're spending assets, like actual picks or players in, in trades, their evaluation has been, has been lackluster. And more importantly, I think developing their own players and choosing players that have the right skill sets has been kind of hit and miss with this organization. I think Patrick Williams, Io DeSunmo, uh, you know, Larry Markin, Kobe White, Wendell Carter Jr., like these last five kind of major picks, we've seen Lowry and Wendell have great effect on their new teams after they left. Now, Wendell, I've always argued, I argued the whole time he was here, that he was a good player and that they just weren't, uh, he was either injured or they were putting him in lineups where he was like, guaranteed the only positive defender in those lineups and really put in a position to be the scapegoat for a lot of things. Um, 
but the Bulls don't really have a track record of developing their own players. And the best way to make your team better is to get people in the draft, get them in your building, which they always talk about, and invest in their development. And I think we've seen a track record where they haven't really done that. And the only way you guys get better, like the only two guys I can think of that have gotten better are Zach Levine and Jimmy Butler. And those guys are known psychotic level work ethic guys, right? Like they are so bent on their own self-improvement that they kind of do it regardless of the situation. But that's what kind of makes me more upset is, is their talent evaluation and their, their player development have both been pretty poor. You know, they, they chose to, to build around or with a guy like Zach Levine, which I think, was not a bad decision. I think it, I think it could be absolutely be the right decision, but they chose to ship out Wendell Carter jr. And two first round picks for a guy who didn't fit his timeline, who had the same issue as Zach, where he was, you know, much more an offensive player than a defensive player. And a guy who, you know, I love Vooch. You guys know I've defended Vooch. I think Vooch is a great player. But Vooch really limits what you can do on the defensive end, and he's already in his 30s. And so if you're going to send out those types of assets, you have to make sure that the guy that you're pairing with Zach Levine is going to maximize Zach Levine's strengths and minimize his, his weaknesses. And I don't think Vooch does any of those things. And I think they overpaid. Even if he were the right guy, I think they overpaid as far from an asset standpoint. So that's a, I think those things kind of bother me, and, and they've put themselves in this position not just because of the, the off-season acquisitions being kind of lackluster, but they're not doing the right things as an organization to, to make their organization work. And I think that ultimately comes back to ownership. But even when AK and Mark Eversley got here, they said, there's one guy. They, their player development staff was one person. And even Acme were like shocked <laughs> that that was the case. And they've, they've since added these things and added more players, but they've got the same medical staff that told – uh, told him Marashik to like tough it out and play on a broken leg. Was that Oshik or, or was that Dang? I can't remember. I, I thought Dang was the spinal tap, but they had the same medical staff. No, they did, they did that with Dang too. Uh, back way back when um, it was, I can't remember what year it was, but it was he had decided to sit out longer and miss. Um, was that the, the year he was traded? Was that the year he was traded? Like that that half season against Boston. It was it was that series against Boston. I remember um, when uh, the second half when they had like John Solomon's and oh. Brad Miller. Uh, they they had that knee injury or shin injury or whatever it was, and essentially they they released a memo and essentially called Dang soft. Like uh, said <laughs> the the the, the the summary of the memo was you're soft and you're clear to play and you're choosing not to. Yeah. Uh, and Dang said, Dang went out and got second opinion from a different person, not in the Bulls medical staff, who told them that, yeah, this could get worse if you don't let it heal. Um, and and that yeah. we found out. It's like, holy hell, dude. These guys really almost, you know, jeopardized his career. Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about, which is, they, the Bulls are one of the richest organizations in basketball. They're in one of the largest markets. They should be, they should be running this thing as such. They should be running it like they're the Lakers, like they're the Celtics, like they're the Warriors, like they're Miami. 
and they don't, they run it like a mom and pop shop and you're disadvantaging your own players, your own organization by not spending, not investing the time and money and effort into developing your players and bringing the right people in the organization. And then once you bring them in, like maximize them. And I just think the bulls have done, you know, I'm not trying to to bag on Acme too hard because I think they, the DeMar signing, I think was really, really good. I think they've done a really good job of trying to maximize this team after the Vooch trade. I just think the Vooch trade was, it kind of limited your ceiling. And then this, the shooting, the lack of shooting is really bad. (laughs) And it's hard to find, it's hard to find really impactful shooters, but I think if they, if they make some moves this off season or this, there was trades trade deadline, they have to get more shooting in the building. Lonzo being out obviously hurts because he's our best and most high volume shooter on the team, but they just have too much non-shooting or non-two-way players. And they, they just have to get better. There's so much to talk about. I feel like I can rant forever because there's so many <laughs> different issues we could address of things that are wrong with the team. But I, you know, I, I just think that they are shooting themselves in the foot as an organization by some of the decisions that they've made, that they've made, and the fact that they're not willing to invest in their own success in in any of the ways that are really low hanging fruit and just require money and and effort. See, that's and they what, have both. That's what I keep coming back to is the the front office is all is playing under a confined ownership group, and you're you're hoping to build at least like a perennial playoff team that one day has a chance to win a championship, but you don't want to spend to get into that. So what they're trying to do is extremely difficult because like if we go back to how these front offices have tried to build this team since the dynasty ended and it's just like we, we go to the baby bulls and Paxson drafted really well. He hit on a lot of picks, but when they needed to take that next step in the trade market to add like a, an all-star player, they didn't want to do it because they didn't want to pay. They didn't want to pay. They didn't want to give up assets. Then they lucked in the Derrick Rose, but we kind of go and get into that same thing where they needed a shooting guard, but they didn't want to pay. So you ended up with Rip Hamilton and then you ended up with Mike Dunleavy. You never really wanted the trade. You never really took advantage of your window. And we're kind of at that same type of pathway now, though the window I think is kind of past where they didn't want to spend this year to improve the team. They didn't want to use the entire MLE. They used the biannual exception the year before because they knew that they wanted to stay under the tax. So they just used it to pay Tristan Thompson a little bit more. So, it's just a lot of things that keep coming back to me to a desire to really not want to play with the big boys. You don't really want to spend with the big boys. So I have a hard time seeing how you can re- be at the spot that you want to be in if the top, if, if the head of the table does not want to give you that ability to do so. It's only if it's very convenient and if you've proven like, I, I, I don't know, like they said, they, they're willing to go into the tax, but a lot of that kind of gives me the vibes that they have to do it with less 
before they can actually do it. So, I don't know. It's just a bad situation to me overall that we're expecting them to succeed. Now, I I think AK and Eversley have definitely made their share of moves that can be criticized. But, like, if you don't have a great ownership group, then, like, I don't know. Like, how do you do this? And and when we're talking about player development, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, but that's a part of why, like, a rebuild to me, it it just doesn't seem like something that I'm interested in. Like, it, if they can't develop what they have right now, then what is making us think that they'll be able to do it in a full rebuild? Like, guys will get more opportunities, granted, just from the nature of it, but if they can't develop young players right now, which I would argue when you have good veteran players around you is a decent time to be able to to provide that, then to me, I think we're just going to end up in a similar situation as what we were doing a few years back when we had all these high draft picks, when we had Lowry, when we had Dunn, when we had Wendell, when we had Kobe, and these guys weren't hitting. It kind of makes you remember back when we were doing the search for the front office and organizations that are top quality organizations like Toronto and Miami, their people that we want to interview said, no, thank you. Like we're, we're good. And, you know, we, we rationalize various reasons why they said, no, thank you. Like, Oh, because, well, you know, this guy is up for this promotion in Miami or this guy is up for this promotion. If Masai decides to leave Blah, 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 blah. Um, but it kind of makes you think back. It's like, hmm, remember that? Remember when these two organizations that are top-notch and tend to have great front office executives decided to say that, you know, we're not we're okay with not even wanting to interview with you? So that makes you, you know, go back to think about that. And as far as, like, you know, you, you look at what we're at right now, like, you know, like, how do we fix this? Like, how do we fix this? Is Or is a rebuild the best route? Like, even though we're talking about concerns about player development, but it's like, what what is the best route at this point? And, you know, Chris, I know you had ideas in that regards too. Yeah, and, and to be clear, I don't know what the best option is. I think they do have some options. But as I said on Twitter, if their plan – is to rebuild and they do anything like they did the last rebuild, then I don't think they should rebuild because they sucked at it. I mean, they were truly one of the worst rebuilding jobs I've ever seen. And the reason why is because they did not invest in their own player development at all. They hired Jim Boylan to be the coach of all these young players, which guarantees you'll be bad, but doesn't guarantee that you're actually going to develop anybody or implement a system that's, that's going to be helpful to them. And then they acquired one asset there in a, in a five-year period of sucking. They acquired one asset, which was they traded Nikola Mirotic because he was too good. He was making the Bulls win too much when he was on the court. And so they traded him for the 22nd or 21st, whatever pick it was, and selected Chandler Hutchison with it, which you know obviously didn't go very well. But that's the kind of thing that that – that's the kind of thing that if they're going to do that again, then I don't want them to rebuild because they're not going to do it correctly. You get, if you're going to rebuild, you have to absolutely invest in 
developing players to put them in the right situations where they can improve their shooting, improve the decision-making, you know, it's like if you're practicing, but you're doing it wrong, it doesn't matter how much you practice. You're not going to get better. You have to practice perfect practice. You have to do it the right way over and over and over again. And the bulls have not shown an ability to do that with their players. And they didn't hire the right person for them. And the, and the front office, which luckily has changed. So, you know, there's some hope there that, that AK and Eversley would do it differently. And I know that there was some rumor that they tried to hire Sam Presti out of OKC to be the new executive. And, you know, he's done a, he knows, he knows how to maximize getting assets. That's for sure. So that would be an improvement. Um, But I think Acme can do better, but Ed, as you mentioned, if they have these self-imposed limitations, if they're handicapping themselves on what they can spend and what they can do and who they can go get, you know, they're, they're creating a disadvantage for themselves as an organization that should not have any of those disadvantages. They're just, they're just self-imposed. So I'm not sure what, what direction they should go in, but if they're going to do a rebuild, they got to do it right. And we can talk about that and what I think that would look like or how we could get there if you guys want. But that's kind of the first point is, is I don't think they should do a rebuild unless they are going to do it the right way. And this is not just my right way. It's like, Look at other teams that have been successful the last half decade in rebuilding. You know, look at what the Nets did. Look at what the Raptors did. Look at what Orlando's doing right now. Look at what the the Hawks did. Um, You know, these are teams that take on bad contracts, acquire assets, develop their own players. Like OKC took on these rehab projects, like Chris Paul, for example, um, and then shipped them out later for more assets like that's the type of thing that the bulls have to be doing if they're going to want to rebuild yeah um and but yeah that, that's that's our matter with the rebuild and, and that's why like I, I think you broke that down like perfectly because it kind of reminds me of like you you think about baseball like in, in baseball there's no salary cap so a lot of it comes down purely to how much an ownership group is willing to spend on your product to win games and there are a lot of teams, well, there are a few teams in baseball that just do not want to spend at all. So you, you think about like a team like the Marlins back in the day or like the the Oakland Athletics teams that like had to scrape the bottom of the barrel. And if they somehow got lucky enough to really reach a certain level, then it was great. But they weren't going to go out of their way to do that. And the Bulls kind of give me that vibe that they're like, we're talking about all of these confinements. And if they're not willing to loosen it up, then none of it's going to work. Like if they don't want to take on bad contracts, it won't work. If they're not willing to invest into development, it won't work. If they won't spend at crucial points in building a team or it it just won't work. And for me, I think that AK and Eversley, I think ultimately this is should maybe end with them trying to see if they can retool it somehow on the fly. Because if if they can't do all of these things in a rebuild, then what's the point? They're going to have to find a way to see if they can trade contracts and just get some guys that kind of shuffle in. And like, you think about, um, you, you think about some of the trades that Paxson made where it was like the, uh, the notion and Gooden for like, John Salmons and Brad Miller type trades like deals like that where you can improve with players and maybe even get a better contract back stuff like that that can potentially happen but um overall like I I think you really have to look at the fact that this team 
has not had the best luck with rebuilds, so maybe it's probably better that they're they should retool on the fly. I think I think it's probably the the more yeah. likely option. Yeah. Sorry, Slim. Uh, I cut oh, you off. But I I think that's the most likely option. I think they're going to look at Vooch and Kobe White. And I think they're going to try and parlay those guys at the deadline. Now that's if if Lonzo's out for the season, which it appears that he's going to be, or at least it's going to be close enough where he's not going to really be a dependable piece in a playoff situation. I think they're going to try and and move those guys. And it makes sense because neither, neither player has really had serious discussions about an extension with the bulls at this point, at least that's what's been reported. So I think that's, that's going to be where we're at, mm-hmm. but you also have to find places for these guys. You have to find pieces that can come back and, you know, help you. Like, I, what do you do with Vooch? you can't have Drummond start at center. So you're going to have to trade Vooch somewhere that needs a starting center. And that has something, you know, something to trade back or trade to a third team that has a center that they want to get rid of. Right. Like it's not easy to do this. (laughs) It's not, it's not easy. There's ideas. I've, I've got some ideas on some things that may work, but they're going to take a step back. If they do this, they're going to take a step back this season. And I'm not sure, you know, what that really means because they're already doing pretty poorly right now. But I do think there's a way that they can kind of retool and come back next season as a decent team or be a little bit closer to their goal. The question is, is that going to be worth it? Uh, ultimately, I, do, I just don't know. So sorry, Slim, to interrupt you there. No, I was I was saying, like, you know, we, we talk about, you know, what they could do as far as uh, the moving forward this season and, you know, rebuild or retool either step like like and i wanted to ask you like what is what is a move then what is a move at vooch that you can make i know you've thrown out some ideas uh that you can do with vooch and maybe a moves not only with vooch but then a second move, move where you can you know replace the starting center position um and maybe what that does more so it just kind of changes up the the fit on this team where it might be better where you get a defensive center, a better, def- more versatile defensive center, I should say, that can, you, you know, you can change up the how you, def- you know, you kind of remove being a drop coverage team and, and that way you, maybe you can do a little more zones, uh, various type of zone defenses. Yeah. Uh, more so because could have a more, more mobile switchable big uh, center. And maybe that's an option to think about, obviously, but Vooch, it, at this point, it just seems like I think there was also a report, or not a report, but something mentioned um, with Vucevic, and he maybe had like a an interview overseas or something where discussions essentially about an extension are dead, um, and he's not really you know focused on that at this point uh, with the Bulls. He's not worried about getting an extension. You know, he figures he'll get one somewhere with some team if it's not with the Bulls, but. You know that that's that's certainly something to think about. Like I think obviously we, we talk about if we're not doing the rebuild, Kobe probably does have to move. So like, what are some moves that you think that could make sense uh, as far as at least a retool is concerned? Even well, there's kind of a limited number of teams that are both competing now and need a starting center. So I, I think two of those teams are the Nets and the Lakers. Although the Lakers just got news that Anthony Davis is going to be out for at least a month with his right foot injury. So I don't know if they're going to be as excited to ship out any assets 
for a starting center. And, you know, before he was injured, Anthony Davis was doing really, really well at center. He's having a, you know, a resurging year for sure. I think the Nets are probably the most likely option as far as someone that could match salary, bringing someone back and, and it would be kind of a good move for them this year. Uh, Nick Claxton, I think is starting for them at center and he's been, he's a good defender, but he's also next to Ben Simmons. And there's been some kind of, you know, it's been a little shaky there as far as that pairing goes. I think Vooch is, would be a really good pair with, with Simmons. Um, you know, Vooch is a capable defender. As we know, he's not an amazing defender, but he's he's better than his reputation. And I think having Ben Simmons next to you in the front court would would improve that that situation uh, for him at least. And obviously, Vooch can pass really well. He can stretch the floor, and he's you know he he's a good offensive player in his own right. So I think that kind of a that kind of a destination makes sense. As far as who could come back, you know, they've got some guys. I think Joe Harris is the guy that I would love to have back because he is exactly what this team needs anyway, which is a high volume movement shooter. And Harris is really, really good. When they had when they had Harden, Irving, and Durant with with Harris healthy, that team would have been an absolute nightmare. And and you know the few the few games that they played together, they had like historic numbers on offense. So Joe Harris is exactly the type of guy he's making 18 and change this year, 18 million and change. And he's still, you know, fairly long, fairly young. And he's on a contract for another year after this. So he would be the guy I would love to get back in a swap. And I think it would be kind of like a one for one swap. There's also, I think they've got like Patty Mills and um, who's the other guy they're trying to get rid of one second. Let me, this is, this is great theater here as I, as I bring up the trade page, but um, Nick, Cla- Nick Claxton, Seth Curry, Patty Mills are all kind of, you know, that six to $8 million, $9 million range. I think they could kind of put something together to get to Vooch's 22, but I do think Joe Harris makes the most sense. The problem is if you're shipping out Vooch, you need a starting center back or someone that can kind of capably play center. I think our best bet there is Isaiah Hartenstein, who's currently on the Knicks, the Knicks, should be using him differently, but they're kind of playing him the same way that they play uh, Mitch Robinson and Jericho Sims on the defensive end. They just kind of have him being like a rolling cutting big. And Hardenstein is really actually a versatile big. He's a good defender, a good rim protector. He can kind of do, just do a little bit of everything. He reminds me of Wendell in some of those ways, but he's a really quality passer. And so he can kind of, I think he would probably be your best option of available bigs in the league that could come in and somewhat duplicate the style that Vucevic plays for us on offense. He can pass, he can shoot a little bit. um, And I think he kind of allows you to play in some different ways defensively. The problem is he's been a career backup so far. He's still young and he's on a good contract. Uh, And he may grow into that type of player, but currently I think he would be a, a, you know, downgrade from Vuce, I think pretty clearly. But I do think long-term, he would be a guy that I could see growing into a good role. And I do think Andre Drummond is a good enough backup big that can also play some starting center in spots that between the two of them and Tony Bradley, we could probably get by at that center spot. And I do think our offense would seriously improve with Joe Harris on the roster. So that's just one idea I had um, that kind of seems somewhat plausible, but you know, you got to find something that the Knicks want that, that either we have or 
the Nets have, you know, these got to have three teams to make it work, but that's the kind of difficulty you're facing and trying to ship out Vooch. And that's probably the kind of value you're looking to get back. And I would argue the Nets would probably balk at that deal. I think they value Joe Harris pretty highly. And I think you may have to include more in that. And if that's the case, and I think the bulls are going to be in a, in a tough situation, you really want to ship out assets and bring in assets uh, without, without adding more picks or more young players to the deal. And so it's going to be, it's going to be a tough thing, but I think if we could bring in Joe Harris and Hartenstein in exchange for Vooch and maybe like Kobe or DJJ going to the next or something, I think that's probably our best bet at a kind of on the fly retool. That's not bad at all. I think, I mean, I agree with you. I think that Brooklyn would probably be aiming a little bit higher on a, on a deal involving Joe Harris and uh, other players. But I mean, I, I like the, I like the sound of it, honestly. Yeah. I mean, those, like I said, those type of moves are what you kind of look at as far as changing up the dynamic of the team and the versatility of the team, adding a really great shooter like Joe Harris to really space the floor for both DeMar and Zach. Um, again, then it has to come down to how Billy utilizes them. But, yeah, that that's there. You know, and then obviously the, like, Hart, uh, Hart and Side, um, he's a more versatile defender than Booch is. So that definitely is a move that can ch- improve the Bulls as far as what they want to do defensively. With the, um, so with- and even offensively, to be honest, like, I mean, Hart is a good rim running big. He's not obviously. I don't. He's not the passer that Vooch is, obviously. But um, then maybe that also opens up opportunities for Pat as an on ball guy. Get some. Get him some more on ball reps. Um, and he has. And he has shown good improvement as one of those passing at the at least at the, in the short role. He's done a really good job of uh, finding guys either cutting to the ba- of the baseline or kicking it out to shooters. Um, so yeah, that I mean the, those those trades could you know maybe kind of change the dynamic of the team and give give the team a little bit of a kick in the butt. I've I've got a dark horse theory actually. If if you guys will indulge me for a second, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Minnesota Minnesota has not really been that great this year. Uh-huh. And there's been some rumblings that maybe they'd trade Carl Anthony Towns instead of Rudy Gobert at some point because oh, okay. Towns is pretty young. He's pretty good. Now, I don't think that the Bulls should trade for Towns because I don't think he would solve any of our problems. But I think that if he were traded to another team, that may open up an opportunity for us to get whatever team starting center go, uh, Towns is going to replace. Maybe we could, you know, kind of jump in as a third as a third team and and pick someone up like that. Like for example, like if Atlanta wanted to do so and Capella became available or, you know, maybe Washington or, or one of these teams that kind of is stuck in the middle, but wants to compete or maybe like Toronto, I know Toronto needs a center. They also need some perimeter shooting as well. That that may be kind of another destination where something opens up um, an opportunity for us. But I think a lot of teams are not happy with where they're at this year. I think the trade deadline is going to be pretty crazy once teams decide what direction they want to go. So there may be a trade out there that just doesn't make any sense right now, but that may open up in the next, in the next month or two here. Is it possible though, that the bulls could both be sellers and buyers at the deadline in terms of like, maybe oh, yeah. they're looking to, you know, also make, make some moves to retool, but also make some moves where it's like, 
okay, let's see if we can get some picks as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it kind of depends on how far you want to tear it down. Like, I think DeMar has a lot of value on the league right now. I think you could absolutely trade him and get back more than he originally spent mm-hmm. from an asset standpoint. Um, you know, if you wanted to trade Zach, I think you could probably get a lot for him, even, even in his current state and on his current contract. I think a team like the Mavericks or the Raptors or even like the Orlando Magic would probably be pretty interested in, in, in signing him. I know the Lakers said they're interested, but there's no way they have I mean, unless they're trading this Anthony Davis or something, like I just don't see mm. how they have the assets uh, to parlay into Zach Levine, but I think the team, a team like the Mavericks could. Um, so I, I don't know how far the rabbit hole you guys want to go down on these different trade ideas, but I do think that they are in a position where if they wanted to do a full rebuild, they could absolutely get back enough assets to kind of get them started and young players yeah, to get them started. I mean, that's, I mean, that's my, you know, I've, I've been thinking about or, or do a full rebuild. Uh, I know, like I said, you know, there's the negatives are obviously the bulls are like a really great chance that the bulls are going to end up giving the Orlando magic a, a top five pick. I said, Oh, I mean, not top five, but like a, the fifth or sixth pick You're like in the 10. draft. Um, essentially um, at, at, if this, if it doesn't work out where they don't jump into the top four, but at the same time, it's like you know what, as things are, as the way things are going right now, that's likely going to happen anyways. We're going to right. probably give them a top ten pick anyways. So, might be the best thought to ma- not only maximize your odds of getting into the top four, but maybe with guys like Demar and Booch, you can at least get assets for them right now because Booch going into free agency, you're not going to be able to get any vermin in the offseason. Maybe you could get a protected first from a team that's trying to win, uh, contend and go make a push for the in the playoffs. Um, you know, there's teams like, like you mentioned, Toronto, it is need a center. Maybe you can get a, uh, a you know, top, you know, 20, 25 protected first rounder from them or something like that. Um, you know, there's other teams, obviously, I know you have some trades for DeMar and Zach. I'll let you take over that for, but I, I mean, I'm, that's why I'm kind of leaning toward It's like, look, I get the rationale that we're going to likely give Orlando a really good pick, but that's going to probably be the outcome anyways with, with the way things are heading. Um, and it might be the best opportunity at least to maximize our future assets by trading these guys. Yeah. I I think if you decide to rebuild and do a full rebuild, you have to pretend that that magic pick doesn't exist, that it's not available to you. If you land in the top four, wonderful. I mean, that's it. That would be an incredible streak of luck for the bulls or not streak because it's not, it would be the first time something good's happened to them in a decade, but um, it would be an incredible stroke of stroke of luck is the word I was looking for. Right to to get a top four pick, but you cannot operate using kind of that sunk cost fallacy of like, oh well, I don't want to give the Magic a better pick. Who cares? You already traded that pick. If you're not giving up this year, you're giving up, you know, the next year or a year in the future. Like there's certain pick protections on it, but you have to just operate as if that pick doesn't exist. So I do think if they wanted to rebuild, they could absolutely get back more assets. Then they traded for some of these guys. I don't think you're going to ever get back the value you shipped out in the Booch deal. But what they failed to do with Jimmy Butler is bring back any assets whatsoever. They traded Jimmy Butler 
for Zach Levine, which, you know, I think is probably as well as it could have gone <laughs> to this point that Zach Levine ended up an all-star. But they didn't even get a pick out of that. All they did was pick swapped from, I think it was like 19 to 7 or whatever it was. They just moved up like, you know, a dozen spots. So this rebuild, if they do decide to do that, they have to add additional assets. They have to get multiple picks in a year or, you know, they have to be on the positive side of the ledger as far as their asset acquisition is concerned. So you could do that with, with DeMar. I think DeMar can fetch you a good young player in a first round, a first round pick or maybe a, a first rounder and a pick swap in another year. Or maybe you take on some bad contracts. So like Miami, for example, is trying to get rid of Duncan Robinson and Victor Oladipo hasn't really played for them. If they wanted to bring in a guy like DeMar, you could trade both of those guys. They're the Miami's first round pick this year and maybe some other asset or swap or something on top of that. And I know Miami's kind of floundering, but they're also kind of stuck in a win now mode. So that may be an option for them. I know the Lakers have had interest. If you can get DeMar... If you can get one of those first round picks and something else for them, like in Austin Reeves or something, maybe that's worth it. Um, you know, there's, there's other teams out there, you know, maybe Portland's interested, maybe, maybe a Raptors reunion is in this feature. I have no idea, but I do think if DeMar was on the market, there would be a lot of teams interested and you could get back more than you spent on him for Zach. I think you could absolutely get a great return. I think you can probably get two first round picks and a young player, if not more. I think the Mavericks, for example, is the one I put out there is just, just an example. Mm -hmm. The Mavericks could, they've got some tradable contracts in um, Davis Bertans. He's making like 16, 17, 18 million, somewhere in there. And then Troy, I'm sorry, Troy, Tim Hardaway Jr. is making 19 or 20. You can put those two assets together with Josh Green, who's a really, really, he's really improving young shootings, like kind of wingish uh a young wing. He's really come on this, this year, made some improvements. I think that would be like a nice young asset with two first round picks to bring on. Now those first round picks aren't going to be super high necessarily because the Mavericks have Luca, but they've also been floundering this year and they are desperately looking for someone to pair next to Luca for the long term. So maybe that's something they'd be interested in. And then maybe you can even flip Tim Hardaway Jr. So for yeah. like a second rounder or a late first as well. They need um, to do things like that because those guys are on multiple year contracts. If you can turn them into positive assets and then ship them out down the road, you know, that would, that's what the bulls should be looking to do yeah. in a rebuild situations. Like, I mean, I, I'm sure there's a plenty of contending teams that would love to have like a, a Tim Hardaway Jr. That can space the floor the way he can. And he's not a bad defender either. You know, guys like that can come in handy, you know, for a team like the warriors or the team like, um, like a Clippers team that doesn't care about their payroll, that, that just wants to add as much as they can to maximize their win now potential. So, um, you know, th th that's something. That's something there that you can, you know, keep adding more picks to this rebuild. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I wonder, like, I, I don't think the, I, I think your Zach Levine trade proposal isn't bad at all. And I think it's probably on the like higher, I like probably on the like higher outcomes of what we could realistically get back if we we move Zach. Um, I I'm wondering if like at the deadline though, I don't know if they're gonna trade all three of these players like Avuch and Demar and Zach. I I do wonder if the next route is seeing 
what they can do around like Zach and Pat and Io and and then parlaying whatever they get from Damar and Vooch potentially to pair with that and build and build around that going forward. Though um like I, I think that is probably maybe the closest thing that I think is gonna be realistic to what's happening, but um It'll be interesting to see if Zach is even up for grabs. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they've there's been reported that teams are kind of circling yeah. around like vultures, and and they've gotten the answer so far. That's the same answer we've gotten, which is they think the Bulls can be a playoff team when healthy, which is true. That's technically mm-hmm. true. They're just I don't think they're going to be healthy anytime soon. Um, but yeah. you know, there's. There's ways they can make it work. Um, for example, I just thought of, <laughs> I just came up with a trade as as you guys were talking. But if the Lakers really want to cash in on Russell Westbrook, you know, maybe maybe you can reroute Davis Bertans and Tim Hardaway Jr. in that Zach Levine deal, reroute them to L.A. with like Kobe White or Derek Jones or something, um, and then take on Russ's contract and get an extra pick, you know, an extra first round pick out of that, like that's a way you could immediately kind of uh, restart that, that process. Mm. I know you guys mentioned this and this may be the only positive thing we can talk about here today, but <laughs> I really have been encouraged with Patrick Williams. Yeah. I think de- defensively, he has really, really been, I mean, just frankly good on defense. Now he's still, you know, he still has lapses, but the leap he has taken on the defensive end this year has been truly impressive to me in the last month or so. And his efficiency continues to be really, really good. His usage is way too low. So as you talked about, Ed, if we can put the ball in Pat's hands and kind of just see what we have with him and Io and Dalen, mm-hmm. I don't see why not. But if we're going to rebuild, I, I would say put the ball in Patrick's hands and see what he can right. do the next two yeah. years. Like, why yeah. not? Like, what well, are you that, losing yeah. from that? That's what I was saying with trading Booch is like at the very minimum that gives Pat more ball on ball up opportunities get the ball in his right. hands more not necessarily just to be an uh um you know try to create his own shot but just to see if he can be a playmaker out there and improve that side of the game because he's shown some stuff like it's obviously it's still very raw at this point um and and it's more glimpses than just for sure a guy that's going to be a, a good on ball guy but yeah you know if he can continue to improve his become that advantage creator um you know that that only helps your rebuild going into rebuild then you say okay we have a guy that you know that can be a a, a core a core piece and then you look at io maybe his up uh, he improves too in that regards and then dalen who's not even gotten an opportunity to really yeah. play um you yeah. know there's there's things there with Dalen that, you know, we like that, that we saw that the potential is there in a sense of at least being a, a impactful player. So. Yeah. It, yeah. It, I, I, it, I mean, it's not all, it's not all bad if they go to into a rebuild. It's not, it's no, not they've like got, a, they've got options. Like they, they, right. they do have options. They're not always the sexiest options, but I think my right. favorite rebuild style option would be to trade Vooch and Damar and, you know, and, and figure out what you're doing with Kobe White. Maybe trade him if right. you're not going to plan on signing him, and kind of do what you're saying. Give Zach time to kind of rehab his value. Uh-huh. I think you're going to give give Lonzo time to rehab physically and see kind of where you're at with him. 
And you don't have to make a decision on Zach at the deadline. I think if you're going to retool, I think you have to make a decision on Vooch, Kobe, and probably DeMar at the deadline. Maybe on draft night. Wanna, yeah, uh, you could just you could slide. Zach. Yeah, right. You can, you can kind of, if you, you can decide whether you want to continue to build around Zach or not. And you can kind of just kick the can down the road as far as the timeline is concerned, because Zach's only like 27. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Kobe and, I'm sorry, Io and Pat and even Caruso and Lonzo, like none of those guys are, are super old. So you could kind of take a step back in the East and put the ball more, you know, give Pat more opportunity, give Io more opportunity, give Dalen more opportunity, find a starting center that, that you can kind of develop long-term and, and still be competitive and, you know, kind of, kind of maximize Zach's potential, but maybe two years from now, rather than trying to do it right now. Go, yeah. go full and, on Marco hours to help the tank. You know, I've included, <laughs> I've included Marco in basically every trade that I know. I've come up with. Um, because <laughs> if he, salary I know for salary, but I just, I feel like if he can't get, uh, if he can't get minutes and garbage time in some of these games, like I'm not sure. Yeah, I have just have I no know, idea I've, what's I've, going on there. I've long, I've long given up on any Marco I, hope. He's the next Lowry, right? The next Lowry. Yeah, I, I think that I think that ship is sailed. Like, but oh, like, yeah. like going, but going back to what you were saying, like I, I think if you are looking to retool or rebuild, like for me, it, it really is about seeing if you can give more opportunities to Pat, Io, and Dalen, and setting them up to do something. And like realistically, I or not really, but I, I really think that Zach should be kept like like you said he's still 27 years old and he at health when healthy he is a an elite scorer and yeah like i i think it's too early to like i i don't want to jimmy butler him right now right and and do and go through all of that again and see him go somewhere and be really good like i i think if i think the next move is really seeing if you can build around Zach what you can build around Zach and Pat in this next phase of the team and then maybe you've gotten whatever you've gotten back from DeMar and Vooch maybe there are some pieces there that can also contribute to that timeline as well but in Mm -hmm. in either way I don't think anything is really as bad as it could be I, I don't think the Bulls salary cap is really managed poorly like you really don't have an awful contract outside of Lonzo but everything else like is pretty tradable at this point. And like, even, yeah. even if you, um, even if you don't find a taker for Vooch, Vooch expires at the end of the season, DeMar, you don't even have to really worry about it because his value, like you said, there, there's not going to be any shortage of interest in him. But even if there is like next year, he's an expiring contract and it's not like he's just going to like drop off the face of the earth scoring wise. So like you have all of these tradable contracts, um, the Orlando pick, it is what it is, but like you, I mean, you have your pick. Uh, wait, when did they, where did they OV a San Antonio pick? Like, how far is that out? Like, it's 2025. 2025. So okay. This, this year, they'll probably get the Blazers pick. Yeah. If the Blazers make the playoffs, which right. currently it looks, it looks pretty looks good. Like it. Yeah. 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 And then they have at least one pick and yeah. a good draft. It's a yeah. pretty so, deep so draft. They, so, so they could probably get a decent player. Yeah. So even though the, even though they're going to give Orlando a high pick, like, it could be worse because they are going to get something from Portland out of it this year. But 
Uh, I think the San Antonio pick is isn't that pick like more heavily protected than that than yeah, the Orlando pick? Yeah, it's top eight protected, so yeah. it feel makes you feel a little more comfortable because at that point, if in twenty twenty five, let's say if you are doing a rebuild, you're probably still going to be pretty bad. Yeah, so it, it it makes you pretty confident. Like you know what, it's top eight protected, so I'm not too concerned. And then it turns into like a second round San Antonio good pick. It, it turns into like a second round pick or something at some point. Like if it doesn't convey right, like I don't think it ever becomes unprotected, right? No. I don't yeah. think so. Okay. I, I yeah. think the only Orlando pick is the only one. So I think it's so basically yeah. not unprotected, but so I think it goes into a top three protection the following year. Yeah. If it goes into some, it's something like that. And I, I, I don't think it ever becomes a second rounder for Orlando, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. So like the Bulls, like the Bulls books are really aren't in that bad a shape. Like, yeah, the Orlando pick sucks this year, but like going forward is really not that bad. So even though this yeah. is a difficult situation, like I, things could be a lot, a lot worse. Like th- this isn't yeah. like uh, yeah. the other <laughs> other con I would add to 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 tanking right now because like like if they don't get into the top five this year, what I've heard from people is the next couple of drafts are not supposed to be that good. Mm. Like there's not like a foundational piece in the next couple of drafts. I, that's what I'm hearing so far. Um. So that's that's one negative of you know rebuilding. That's that's a flaw that Jerry Krause when he did his rebuild, um, you know there weren't any like generational talents coming in when he decided to do his rebuild back with back then, um, and then even with even with uh, you know with AK and them like obviously I mean there were generational pieces but. The, the tank was not done correctly and I mean and it, also it was just bad drafting in general I, I mean, mean not bad drafting but just kind of like the bad player development um but yeah and, it's I think that's probably one con is like there's not after this draft this 2023 draft the next two drafts are not supposed to be like the most like talent you know filled draft supposedly yeah well and, and as you mentioned Ed I think with Zach Levine, you can have some patience. If you really want to, I don't think you should trade him at the deadline unless someone really blows you out of the water with, right. with like but a But I mean, the other thing with Zach is like he could demand a trade, which I mean, if he does, he it's fine could. whatever. But he's I still under him. contract. I mean, he's under contract, so we still have leverage in that regard. So like, yeah. he's he's under contract for five years. So um, but you could you could also, though, you could still tank without – trading Zach, you could, I mean, just sh- if you want to shut him down or something or limit his minutes, you know, because of the knee issue, just, you know, say you're managing the knee, like a bunch of teams do this kind of stuff. Right. I think you can still be really bad without trading Zach. I don't think there's as much urgency and I think you'll probably get a better, a better return for him in the off season than you would at the deadline. Unless, you know, unless something really, really nasty comes around like a Rudy Gobert <laughs> trade, stop trade. Right. I, I would keep him in, as you guys mentioned, for the next couple of years, the drafts aren't well, supposed to be really good. So right. you could you can retool, you know, kind of like be competitive the next few years and see if it works out with Zach and then move on and, and tank after that. So And to be honest, what you have to hope is a small market team like Minnesota that is not going to be a free agent destination comes in and like, you know what, Zach is an all-star. Let's just let's give a guy like a Herschel Walker offer to the Bulls. Yeah, you're looking because for like want to be. You're looking for like a Sacramento, or Indiana like a Charlotte, or something like that. Like you know, someone that'd be like, you know, F it. We need to add players around Lamelo. 
and maybe we can offer them three first round picks and a couple of swaps. And then we'll also give you this one young guy that we have uh, that's promising. That's a tantalizing young player. Um, and then, yeah, all of a sudden you have a much better offer. Uh, and those picks are probably not going to be as like low as they would be if you trade him to like Dallas, for example, because Dallas is probably going to be end up being in the twenties with, if you have Luca playing off at Zach and you know, all that stuff. But I mean, that's the other hope you have to hope for, like a, a team that is a small market team. Just hopefully, this comes as like I think we need to add talent to this roster somehow, and we're not going to do it any other way. Yeah, I think ultimately the Bulls have control over their own destiny, but they have to invest in themselves. They have to. They they got to stop self-imposing these limits. They have to stop handicapping their own staff, their own development. If they do that, then I think that's that's the ultimate way that they can succeed. Doesn't matter what picks they get doesn't matter what players they trade. They have to invest in themselves. And until they do that, I think we're going to be kind of in like you know, a continuous cycle of basketball hell. Um, yeah. I, and that, I, that's the I, other I just, thing. Yeah. No, that's the other thing. The investing in themselves with like the scouting side or not scouting, but player development side. It's that's a frustrating part. Cause like you mentioned uh, earlier, Chris, they talked about the scouting department only being one guy and then we find out that they don't even have a sh- like, or player development, or sorry, the player development person being one guy. And then we find out that they don't even have a shooting coach, like an actual designated yeah. shooting coach. Um, then because Will Gottlieb had asked, I think it was Justin Lewis, who specifically was working with him on his shooting. And Justin Lewis being the two-way guy that they signed, uh, unfortunately he got a, a injury, um, and he's still working out with the Bulls. But anyways, he said he did, he couldn't name a specific person, so that's concerning. It's like why why do the Bulls have a designated shooting coach? All the good organizations have somebody. They have a guy that has a background in shooting, and they come in and work with their players to help improve their sh- shooting, essentially. So that's that's some sort of concerning. And why is that? Is that an AK and Eversley philosophy that they don't think that's important? Because if that's the case, that's a red flag, our front, a red flag to our front office. Or is that the case where money has to be spent for someone like that and ownership is saying, no, we're not spending extra money for something like that? You know, either way, it's not good, but that's a red flag. Yep. I mean, they they have to change. They have to change as an organization. They have to bring in people in the analytics department. They got to bring in shooting coaches, skill, skill coaches, skill development. And then they have to put their players in positions to succeed. I think with Pat, especially this is Pat is a guy I believe in the most. I know some people think I'm crazy for it. That's just fine. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm I, there with I, you, Chris. I'm there with I'm you. I'm feeling better about him after this season. I, I mean, I know it's not glamorous numbers, but we're seeing clear improvement when you watch him yeah. play, and we're seeing some improved confidence. He's taking – like, he's not hesitating on shots. Like, the three ball looks good. The, the defense yeah. looks good. So, like, to me, if, if we're going down this route, like, one of my priorities in the offseason would be to lock Patrick Williams down to an extension, like – to see if I can get in early on something that is like an affordable where we can really get like a, a value contract out of it before he really, you know, takes that real leap in yep. his development. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. 
I think if you just let him walk into restricted free agency, he's going to get like 25 million a year or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with his current production, because a lot of teams will take a big bet on, a, on a player's second contract, especially a guy who has shown the defensive potential that he has this year and who's got all the tools and size and skills to be a really good player. I think the bulls are doing themselves a disservice by not putting the ball in his hands more. I think some people have been confused about his inconsistency offensively or the fact that he doesn't have like a high impact because he's not, he never touches the ball. He doesn't shoot enough. He, he just does. He needs a much higher usage. He needs to be involved much more with the ball in his hands or just taking more shots. And some of that, you know, is on him, obviously the take shots, but I think he's done better at not hesitating when he gets an open opportunity and he does do really well in those short roll situations. I think you could put him in those situations a lot more. Uh, have him be a screener, have him run some, you know, some pick and roll as the ball handler. Uh, you know, like I think you can do a lot more. And that obviously comes back to Billy on offense and, and kind of diversifying what they're doing. But yeah, they they have such a unknown in in Pat still, obviously because he missed all of last year and he was in a completely different situation this first year. But he's showing, he's showing a lot of that promise, I think, on the defensive end. And if you shoot for three years straight, I mean, his, his career average from three is like 43 now percent. Like he's a good shooter. He just needs to improve the volume. And even if he goes down to 38, 37, if he's shooting a lot more, that's going to make the team a lot better. If he's driving to the basket a lot more, if he's, if he's rolling and playing out of the short roll, I think that's going to improve your team long-term. And with the limited assets we have, he's the best one we got. Like he's the biggest promise of improvement, internal improvement that we have at this point. So it, it is in the bull's best interest to maximize and f- maximize that investment and, and that development and see what you really have in him. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I, yeah, 100%, 100%. I hope we, I really hope we do get to see some improvements in what they're really, what they're really willing to invest into player development over the next couple of seasons. And like we've all been saying, like this entire show, just, if they can do that, if they can find more ways to get creative in terms of where the spots they're getting these players the ball in their hands, like I, I think that they can actually make some real like progress with this team. But if they're expecting to do a retool or a rebuild and they're still going to move the exact same ways as they have been in the past going forward, then it, it's really going to be all for naught. So like at some point and, I know this is a tall, a tall uh, request, but really, it's a lot of this is the rhinestores, man. So it's like if they don't change their stripes, then we're just we just have to hope that like it's another Derrick Rose type of thing where shit just happens anyway and without them. So it's just I don't I don't know. I, I would love to see the ownership group be responsible for some of the good things that happen rather than it all just being on making luck with doing less. <laughs> no, yeah, hundred percent. And well, we'll see what happens, but you know, we'll, we'll wrap up here. Chris, always a pleasure having you on. Um, please let our listeners know any final thoughts you may have. And then also obviously plug anything that you are working on where we can find your show uh, any any writings that you're going to be uh, articles that you're going to be doing on Swish Theory that we can look out for as well. Uh, but yeah, please uh, go ahead and plug away and, and, and your final thoughts as well. I appreciate it. 
always appreciate you guys having me on. It's I don't get to talk about the Bulls as much as I'd like to in this kind of a format. So every time I get that text from Salim, I'm, I'm really happy about it. Uh, I know it's not the sexiest situation that we're in this time, but I do think the Bulls are not in a hopeless situation at all. They have a lot to do and a lot to improve on, but the opportunity is there for them to, to do that. They just have to put themselves constantly in position to succeed. They have to give themselves opportunity to be lucky rather than luck being the only thing that mm-hmm. saves them. And if they can do that, I think the, the future of this organization is bright if they do those things because they have a great market, a great fan base, great location. I mean, Chicago is, is a historical basketball franchise and I think they have so much more potential. This is They're like the Pat Williams of franchises right now. Like these, There's so much potential there. They're just not maximizing it at all. And if they can do that, I think they're going to be much better. So that, those are my final thoughts. Um, you can find, you can find uh, my podcast with Laro. It's, it's Swish Theory. If you just type in Swish Theory, any, any podcast platform that you, uh, that you use, we run a weekly show that comes out late Sunday night, early Monday morning for you guys to, to listen to on your way to work. We cover all 30 teams. We, we don't do it all at once, but we, we bring in someone each week to talk about their team in depth. So it's, if you want a better understanding of how teams are operating around the league and like kind of deep dives on different players or schemes and sets and things, I think it's, it's a really good, I mean, you guys know Laro, how good he is at X's and O's and things. So it's, it's always a great discussion. Um, I have a piece coming out hopefully this month, it's going to be on our friend Alex Caruso and someone else that I won't name right now, but I'm really excited for this piece. It's been long overdue, um, but I think it's an important conversation that we need to have about the kind of things that Alex Caruso does on the floor and, and why that's valuable, not on just the bulls, but on a lot of teams. So you can catch it there on the theory.com. You can follow Swiss theory at Swiss theory on Twitter. And, and we're doing, I know, it's been a little quieter. Like we've, we've got some great contributors, mm-hmm. but we're working on some really, really big things. I think behind the scenes, yeah. and hopefully we'll mm-hmm. be able to, to give some more clarity, get some more clarity on our end and, and hopefully to the public over the next, you know, three or four months. But I'm really excited for, for the future of, of switch series. It's been a really amazing experience so far. And there's a lot more that we can, we can get done. So yeah. look forward to that as well. Y'all are, y'all are killing it so far. Like, yeah, I appreciate 100%, 100%, 100%, 100%. Y'all are knocking it out the park, man. Great stuff. There's some yeah. really, I mean, some really brilliant people that are contributing oh, for, for us sure. right now. They really sure. know ball. They're so. brilliant people. And I know Lara has been telling me about some of the exciting things that you guys have coming up that I think are going to be pretty major. Uh, and and you guys started it. It's awesome. I yeah. mean, you and Lero and, and you know, you got together with Chip and all those other guys. Um, it's a really great platform. A lot of knowledgeable people. Uh, people there and a lot of uh fruitful things to learn and, and take in um, and you know the scouting reports you do on, on on prospects coming out of college um just in general scouting reports you do and player evaluations that you do team evaluations that you do uh it's a lot going on there and a lot of great things to look into and, yeah. and a bright future i feel like um done so and the website's awesome it's it's, it's i love that it's mobile uh, it's so clear on on the mobile devices. Like I don't, ha- it's not like all distorted. Like some websites you go to, it's like you have to like zoom around and get it straight. You click on an article, it fits right onto your screen perfectly, easy to scroll and read. You know, it's mm. it's it's nice. It's yeah, really yeah. Great. You uh, can definitely think think uh, 
Chip and uh, and Ross for that. They worked really really right. hard to make sure that that worked correctly because that was a, that was a right, big selling right. point for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The user yeah, experience was- on the website is great, and the aesthetic is is fantastic. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Ed, any final thoughts? No, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks again to to Chris for dropping by. We had a, a great discussion. I know it can sound a little depressing for Pools fans, but uh, e- even though it's a tough situation, it's not a. It, it can be a lot worse, and it, it's not. It, it's not the end of the world. So I, I think the team going forward can be fine, even though there are obvious things holding us back. But we'll see how the team uh, can bounce back uh, later today against Minnesota. So. Um, hopefully it's a, a decent game for vibes and vibrations and all that. So we'll see what they can do. 100%, 100%. Hopefully it all works out. But yeah, that's a wrap for today's show. If you missed any previous episodes, you can find us under the Barroom Network on all major and minor podcast platforms. Thank you again to Chris Amundsen for joining us and to the listeners for tuning in. As I, as always, for Edward as myself, Thank you next time. Thank you. Till next time, Bulls fans. Jeez, I can't talk. (laughs) 